Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1973. The album is 2013. The artist, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks. That should be noted. Carl Reiner's listed first on most of these. My guest is Greg Fitzsimmons. But it's we're also using his equipment, which is very nice of him. So thank you. It's very kind of you. Well, it's... Um... I don't know about lend. It's a lease. It's a lease program. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, uh, you know, you don't have to pay it all at once. Okay. Just every time somebody downloads it, just send me a penny. Okay. That's yes. a good idea. Yeah. Well, you will take a while to get your money. Okay. Uh, I apologize sincerely. Um, PayPal will take a cut of each penny. Well, you, of course. You know. They got to wet their beak. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Spotify, they, they're going to want a little bit up front. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of Jewish people that they're going to get in the way here. <laughs> Uh, so it's your equipment, so you can make that joke. Yes, that's fine. I'm no. Can I before we get into it? I'm noticing a Dogtown sticker on your laptop, and may yeah. I ask why? Uh, lived in Venice for about 15 years. Okay, and um, love the Dogtown. Okay, yeah, makes sense. Have you seen the movie? Oh, I love. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I mean, I my first documentary is a sort of parody. Not a parody. It's not, but it's like it's a parody in that like the sport I'm talking about is so stupid and so far yeah. removed from something as cool as skateboarding uh-huh. that I had to call it Lords of Soaptown. So Oh, that's long, hilarious. Long story, but as to why it's called Soaptown, but yeah. 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 I love those movies. Can I see that on Netflix? Not yet. I'm I I just signed a thing to get it released on okay. DVD. Good. So, waiting for Netflix to come knocking. I think right. I have to knock at their door. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of uh buzzers and knocking and texts with mm-hmm. netflix yeah yeah they're very busy these days yeah yeah seems like it um developing good shows um okay so why did you pick this album because it's common uh, last few months people have been picking a lot of these a lot of mel brooks and carl specifically Reiner? these albums yeah like i'm having to turn people well away. i think i think mel brooks and carl reiner are both having this sort of renaissance with people i don't know if you call it a renaissance as much as an appreciation of them uh mel brooks and they they did an hbo special together Mm -hmm. and um i think it all started actually a while ago maybe maybe seven or eight years ago when um uh what's his name who's the sportscaster um I'm going to be no help. He did a Bob show Costas. on HB Bob Costas. <laughs> it is Bob Costas. He okay, did an yeah. interview with them and mm-hmm. and, uh, and with Mel Brooks, and it just went on and on. It was supposed to be a one hour special, uh-huh. and he by the end, everybody in the studios nearby had had collected in this one studio soundstage, and he went for hours, and That's they released amazing. it as like a three part special or something. Um, so I, I don't know if it started there, but then um, you know they they just have done stuff together i saw i saw mel brooks do a one-man show in uh in beverly hills uh-huh. at the david geffen theater and he'd never done a one-man show before mm-hmm. and he got on stage i don't know how the hell we got tickets like K- kpcc announced that there were okay that there was a show and my wife called in and got like we got the last two tickets oh. we were like in the back row in the corner but it's a small theater okay and he got up on stage and, uh, you know, in a tuxedo, and he just had a glass of water on a stool and a microphone. And he basically went through his entire life from being from his parents' life to being born to childhood in Brooklyn to being a young writer on your show of shows all the way through the movies he's directed. And interspersed, he would sing. You know, he wrote all those songs. Yeah. Springtime for Hitler. Sure. And so he would sing the songs as he told his stories. <laughs> God. And I mean, this guy did not miss a beat. Mm-hmm. For he he did forty five minutes and then said, "I have to pee." <laughs> left the stage, came back five minutes later and did another forty five minutes. So good. And it was like you know, it was probably like a collection of every story he's ever told right, on a talk right. show, on the Tonight Show, or on panels or wherever. And so they just were all beaded out. And they were all full of funny stories and jokes, but heartfelt at yeah. the same time. And and Carl Reiner was out in the audience, and they they did some two thousand year old man back and forth, and it was just a really magic night. Wow! So I think that there's been a bunch of things like that, and then they've each gone out and done some podcasts, mm-hmm. which I had Carl Reiner on mine. Ugh. Probably the biggest thrill of any podcast. I bet guest that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And um. 
And then I know that Mel Brooks has done uh, Chris Hardwick. I believe he's done Marin. Yeah. I'd like to get him on mine, but I've, sure. I'm afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. He's such a hero to me. Sure. No, I know. I have, yeah. I I would say I'm just as a, I've sent the emails. Uh, have you? Oh, yeah. Repeated. Yeah. Repeated. Yeah. To no response. Whereas Carl Reiner, I have gotten at least responses. Yeah. You know, but he's a, he's Mel Brooks. He's yeah. a busy man. He's a right. god. What are you going to do? I had a dream about him, I guess because of this podcast, but uh-huh. two nights ago I had a dream and I was um, with Mel Brooks. I forget the context of the dream, but I was making him laugh and he really saw me as like the best version of me. Like I felt like this is what a perfect parent would make you feel like. It yeah. was definitely a father-son thing. And I was young. I was like a little boy. And he kissed me on the nose and he hugged me. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so good. It was like everything I dreamed that parenting would be <laughs> and that I never got. Uh, <laughs> I, I I mean, I'd always wish my parents were Jewish, if that counts. I, I, yeah. I'd go for that, too. That'd be fine. Yeah, oh, yeah. We'd all be a lot funnier with Jewish parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. What's your heritage? Uh, man, you know what? I've been re- researching that a lot lately. Uh, found out just super German, which is what we expected. My last name Uber is German. German. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Engl- super super Anglo on one side, and then I'm like three quarters German, one quarter Anglo. That's mostly right. it. Okay, with a little other stuff thrown in that I'm interested in, but there's no proof or yeah documentation, just rumors. Yeah, I like those rumors. It's fun, but. It, well, you know, I got on Ancestry.com recently, me and Dave Keckner. Keckner got convinced that he and I are related because uh-huh. we're so similar. And so uh, we both sent out for the Ancestry.com kit. Mm-hmm. And then you can, once you do it, you can cross-reference oh, yeah. Yeah, your okay. DNA and you can see if you're related in any way. That's so I'm awesome. still waiting for the results. I should do that. I should. My mom did the DNA thing. I want my dad to do it. I mean... I hope they don't turn out to be related, but you understand. Yeah. I just want to know my background. Right, right. I like the idea, though, of cross-referencing you and a friend who you think or hope, you know? That's yeah. That's great. I love that. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> um, so when did you first hear this particular album? And you you picked it, you said, because it's all 2,000-year-old man, whereas the other stuff is a mix of just other interview stuff. Yes. Well, I've got um, my – well, my initial connection to this is – Growing up, my father was a huge Mel Brooks fan, and mm. so we, we watched all of his movies together growing up, and The Producers was always his favorite movie of all time, which was amazing that it turned into a Broadway show that got so popular because yeah. it was kind of a sleeper hit for him. Mm-hmm. You know, It wasn't his well, most well-known, but he we always just felt like it was the most perfect premise and the execution and the casting. And so I always had this very emotional connection to Mel Brooks through my father, and then when I was, um, I guess I was about 12 or 13, he bought me the 2,000-Year-Old Man collection, which is three or four albums mm-hmm. from from the collection, and uh, just you know wore them down listening to them. And then as I got older, and my dad passed away, I started playing the albums for my son. We'd play backgammon when he was probably about nine or 10. Mm-hmm. And we play backgammon and we listen to Two Thousand Year Old Man and it oh, so it good. landed squarely on him. That's he did perfect. nothing was missed. I mean he it is just so purely funny. Yeah. You can't explain why. No. All, you just can stand back in awe and say, This is a man who is represents and embodies funny. Yeah. And you know, when he talks about a nectarine being the perfect fruit. You know, it's the right temperature, and I take a rotten nectarine over a, f- a fresh pear, and you know he would just repeat that, and uh, and so he was he would repeat the album, and then uh, one Halloween, you know, again he's like ten years old, and we're out in Venice Beach and we're trick or treating, and uh, I go, oh, and it's Mel Brooks, and he goes, somebody dressed up as Mel Brooks, I said, no, it's Mel Brooks. And he turns around, and there he is, and he's out trick-or-treating because his son lives in my neighborhood. Mm, mm-hmm. And so he was going out to trick-or-treat with his grandkids, and my son said, uh, Mel, Mel Brooks, he goes, it's so nice to meet you. My, name, my son, I used to call him the mayor of Venice. He introduces <laughs> himself to everybody. And he says, uh, I, you know, he goes, I love the 2,000-year-old man. And he goes, 2,000, he goes, what are you doing listening to the 2,000-year-old man? You're five years old. And he just was so playful. And they talk back and forth. We took a picture. Mm-hmm. I'll give you the picture so you can put it on your uh, podcast. And uh, it was just such a thrill. And he was everything that we hoped he'd be. And uh, mm. 
And so um, when it came time to pick an album, I I went back through my albums and I wanted to I wanted the one that had because some of them have sketches mm-hmm. that are brilliant also. Sure, but this is the one that was just. Purely two thousand year old man. You knew Shakespeare. You told us. You know he invented words. How? How did? How did? How did the word shower? Shower come to be? Oh, shower. Most words came out uh, because of onomatopoetica. You mean they sound like what they are? They sound exactly like. Well, a like shower it. doesn't exactly. Well, listen. You're going to shower and you hear. But that's not shower. That's well, when they added the hot water. <laughs> then you walked in, you went out, so it's shower, shower, shower. 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 Very good. Shower. Okay. See, that's how we got shower. Simple, simple. You mean all words you think are onomatopoetically all based? Words basically come from the sound. Well, uh, how about the word egg? Egg mm. doesn't sound like an egg. Watch that chicken. Look at that chicken. Study that chicken very, 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 very closely. <laughs> yes, I do. I don't see it. As anything. it produces an egg. And you, if you listen to it, it'll, you'll see the chicken goes, uh, 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 uh. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's possible. And they, they pulled together different parts that had, some of them had appeared on other albums, mm-hmm. I believe. I think so. And he pulled them all together, and this is the complete, uh, I don't know, it's got to be like 20 tracks. Yeah, 20, um, uh, 25, I think. 25 altogether. tracks, yeah. Which is, a, 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 which actually concerned me, because I'm like, wait, how long is this album? Right. I mean, I don't care. I love it. I'll listen to it all day. Yeah. But I was like, oh, God, I have to prepare. How yeah. many times do we get to listen to it? But it's so fast. Yep. So incredibly fast. And I, okay, maybe you know, and I, again, people always expect that I know everything about the album when we listen to it, but like... I don't know how much of this is improv. It does feel, it feels like 100% because he's so lively. Maybe he's got some stuff in his back pocket. I mean, do you know enough about it? Yeah, well, the whole concept started out as, you know, there was a time in New York back in like the 1960s where people got together for cocktail parties Mm -hmm. and they dressed up. And it was lively conversation. It was intelligent. And then people that were funny would sort of just take the stage. I mean, yeah. you going you go back to like Dorothy Parker, but this whole idea of, you know, repartee and dinner parties. And it turned into the first stand up comedy in a sense. Because mm-hmm. Bob Newhart, who sure. you know, his out al- I'm sure you know you know everything about these comedy albums, but you know, he had never done stand up comedy when he recorded mm-hmm. Bob Newhart himself. And it went won a Grammy, and it was a best-selling album. And um, so that was the same thing. It developed as a, a living room kind of a monologue. And this was the two of them at parties would just make people laugh, and it started out as a five-minute bit. Mm-hmm. And then um, – and it might have actually started in the writer's room. Yeah. The genesis of it was it was they were in the writer's room for your show of shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would just always fuck off. And so at one point, Carl Reiner just says to Mel Brooks – so you're 2,000 years old. What's that like? And he just made this noise, and that made everybody laugh. It was like this sigh. And, uh, and then from there, they started doing it at dinner parties, and it just grew and grew and grew, and then they put it out on an album. And so when they did tape it in front of an audience, uh, from what I understand, it was probably about 75%, you know, they had the they had the jokes sure yeah and then the rest was uh, you can tell the points where it's something quick because mm-hmm. to me what what's so endearing and compelling about the album is it's a bunch of things but when you go past the jokes and the material and the then the character it's the playfulness and the relationship that comes through yeah, yeah. you hear two friends that are enjoying making each other laugh <laughs> and and who are making each other funnier together. Sure, yeah. And who don't step on each other. Their rhythm is impeccable. And the respect that Carl Reiner shows Mel Brooks in the setting him up and then getting out, getting out of right, the way, yeah. he's the best straight man ever. Mm-hmm. It's true. I, it, it, which is funny, too, because Carl Reiner, as he's one of my favorite sitcom actors of all time, mm. and playing Alan Brady is one of the hammiest crazy... But to be able to do that and also be this guy, this interviewer, yeah. who is... You know, I mean, he's not he's not bland necessarily, but he, like you say, he steps out of the way the second he needs to. Right. Uh, I do like the moments when he breaks, though. Those are some of my favorite moments. On the whole, yeah. whole thing, you can tell that he, he got thrown. Yeah. And I love that yeah. so, so much. And he still has that. I mean, mm-hmm. you, when I saw them at that show together and when I've seen them on TV together, he's just enamored 
He's got a crush on Mel Brooks. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And they get together uh, at night, I guess three or four nights a week, they get together and they watch TV. They're very current on comedians that are out there right now. Mm-hmm. They love Sarah Silverman. and That's great. Yeah. And so <sighs> they, so they have ice cream and they watch TV. And That's awesome. Yeah. It's this beautiful friendship. And it's very sad. I mean, they both talk. Like I had Carl Reiner on my podcast and he said um, most of his friends are gone. Yeah. You know, yeah. the guy's 90 years old at this point. Mm-hmm. 91? Yeah, something like that. I think Mel Brooks is like 88, 89. Right. It's crazy. And neither of them have their wives anymore, so now right. it's... it's. I mean, if it's going to be just them, it's good that it's those two. Yeah. You know? That's right. great. I mean, right. for me. It's very selfish. Like, I love the idea of that. I'm like, I hope I have that when I'm 90 fucking yeah. years old. Although, it'd be great to have my wife, too. I'm not... You know, you guys understand. She doesn't listen to the podcast. No, of course she doesn't. What is she, stupid? Uh, yeah, so... It, it's funny because I own this album. I have this one framed on my wall because mostly, really? because, yeah, because but more because Mel and and Carl are both on it, and I love the two thousand year old man. And then I realized when I listen, I'm like, shit, I haven't heard most of these bits. I've heard mm. variations on the other albums because I have the same three album set that you yeah. probably got with the two of them nose to nose on right, the cover. Right. Yeah, okay. So that and that's fantastic. But this one, you, I don't know. There is something pure about just forty minutes of them just bullshitting on this same character. Over. Yeah, and the jokes are so dumb, and that's what's so delightful about it. Yeah. Do you have a favorite bit on the whole album, or several bits? Or? Well, I guess the nectarine thing always makes me fun, makes me laugh. Um, I like uh, I, I like the silly stuff, like when he says uh, he asks him about his pubic hair, <laughs> and he says, "No, my public hair." He's talking about like the hair on his head and his arms, <laughs> and uh, it's just um, you know, it's it's the moments, you know, um, when he talks about like. What is the uh, great mystery of the universe? And all the years you've been alive, what is the one thing that has always befuddled you and given you wonder? And he goes, you know when you eat asparagus and then you make a number one? What is that smell? <laughs> uh, and that's another one where you hear Carl kind of like bend right. over a little bit. Right. Oh, it's so, right. oh, there's, you know, it's funny too. Is like it's, it's kind of a, it's a pretty, like it's a formula. Yeah. It's a great formula, but somehow it works every time he has. So what was the name of the first blah, blah, blah? And it's always like Murray right. or Saul. Right. And somehow that jokes lands every time. And I don't yeah. know why. Yeah. He goes, uh, he, he goes, did you know Jesus? <laughs> and so he talks about knowing Jesus. And then he goes, and what about the apostles? He goes, yeah, the, uh, I, I, I know the apostles. It was, uh, Josh and Lee and Barry <laughs> And uh, and and he goes, those were not the apostles. He goes, oh my mistake, that was William Morris. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, it's so silly. It's so re- it's it's another two uh, another. Ugh, sorry, it's another example of around the same era of like um, Alan Sherman and stuff, where Jewish culture, regardless of whether it's as over the top as like an Alan Sherman, where he's just singing Yiddish in a yeah. lot of stuff. Uh, where it's it's just appealing to mainstream America, and it's probably though a lot of them laughing and not being sure why. The same like same reason I might have laughed at it when I was a kid because I yeah. didn't know, but it sounded super funny to me. Yeah. Um, do you do you think there is like what do you think? Well, why do you think it might have resonated so well? Is it just the characters? Well, the Jewish thing really is is a big part of it. There's a very Yiddish rhythm to it. There's the you know. It's like the old Catskill comedian rhythm, but mm-hmm. with really intelligent stuff. Yeah. And it is inside, but it's always accessible. It, Mel Brooks manages to always sort of co-opt that, um, that, that insider feel of this language that isn't even a language. It's a pigeon language mm-hmm. that is as associated with comedy as French is with, with love. Mm-hmm. And, right. you know, uh, German is with attacking other countries and you know but the, the, he uses yiddish in a way that lets you in you always know what he means by the yiddish word sure yeah yeah and yet it's full of it mm-hmm. and it's like i was a member of the i've been a member of the friars club since 1993 really and been around these guys and i've picked up a pretty good vocabulary of yiddish I over bet. the years and so for me to uh to hear him it's like i feel like i'm back at the friars club and i feel like he's part of that that spirit of these guys that I've come to respect so much who went to the Catskills 
not there was no comedy industry back then. Right. You know, that was a comedian was being uh, there, there was a job where yeah. you went table to table while people ate and you tried to crack them up. Yeah. That was your job. And you did it for four hours a day, mm-hmm. and then maybe during the day you were you got to be a towel boy at the pool mm-hmm. on top of being I forget the name of it, but it's there was a job description for this guy, mm-hmm. and they all did it, and they they developed chops and balls and thick skin, and this 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 there's something so um, confident about that rhythm because it's saying and here's where you laugh right right and you needed that because you had people that were eating dinner are talking amongst themselves and you had to announce in a way here's the joke yeah you know God. and and so um so i think the way he he takes that together with um again just the the quick mind and uh which you didn't see with catskills comedy that was the same mm-hmm. guys doing the same jokes forever sure and here was a guy who was inventing brand new character and uh, and and situations on the spot. Yeah, and then throwing it into movies that you would, you know, play a western, right? A western, a right. Yiddish western, essentially. Right. Like there's, uh, I mean, he even has an, you know, the Indian chief speaking Yiddish, which is right. one of my favorite parts of that whole. Yeah, that's movie. right. That's right. Lost him, gain. Oh my god. The new sheriff's a Schwarzer. <laughs> Oh God! Sorry, I, I got to be careful. Last time we talked, just a couple weeks ago, we did uh, two thousand and one years, and we ended up spending seventy five percent of it talking about Blazing Saddles because it turned out my guest was equally as big a fan as I am. Who was your guest? Uh, Travis Travis McElroy from My Brother, My Brother and Me, and nice. uh, great guest. A lot of fun. Turns out he's seen the movie about a thousand times. Wow. No kidding. Like yeah. he's kept track. It's one of those things. And I'm like, yeah. oh well, shit. I no competition here, but we loved it just as much. Yeah do you is there something about this i mean again you're you're a stand-up you're an actor but like is this is any uh like the rhythms or any of mel brooks like in you like you can sort of feel it coming out when you do when you're being funny or do you not notice it it's just a part of you so inherently that i think it definitely comes out when i do crowd work because mm-hmm. i realize that what's funny like you said with mel brooks is that it's it's quick it's not necessarily the first word he says is funny mm-hmm. It's that his rhythm of answering immediately is is just it just makes you laugh. And I think when I do crowd work, I do yeah, that. I say, I'm gonna tell you the truth about all the Jewish mothers and fathers is this your and mother? the Jewish in-laws. You're talking about mine your and all. Yes. This is the truth about them. They all are prideful. Yes. And spiteful. Yes. And they all, for instance, I mean, when I was a kid, when I got married, it was in caves. Caves. You lived in a cave. Cave. You were living in a cave. And your yes. Parents we made to... dinner. We said, pop. Come over, come over for dinner. And you know the yeah. Jewish mothers and fathers? They came over with a terrible rainstorm. They're standing outside the cave. I said, come in, Pa. No, I'm all right here. You mean he was standing outside uh, the I'm cave? I'm fine, I'm fine. He was standing outside the cave? I said, I said, Pa, it's raining, Ma, it's raining on you. No, we all right. <laughs> we all right. We don't have to come in. We just want to look at you. It was dangerous out there. I mean, they were, they, they, they're nuts. So finally, what, we, what, what brought him into the We cave? pushed him in. Can we take your coat? Let me take your coat. No, it's all right. <laughs> I'll keep my coat. Oh, they wouldn't even give you their coat. Sit down. No, standing is good. And it, oh, sit down. We made dinner for you. No, we ate. We ate on the dinosaur on the way over. You know, I ask people questions, and then I, I react to them. And the, the quality of the joke is inversely proportional to the speed at which you get it out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so speed is of the essence. And, uh, and so... You know, you, I, I think I, I definitely pick up on that, and I, and I think I also pick up on the structure of, you know, he was one of the first great improvers. I mean, mm-hmm. this was, I guess, at a time when Second City was just coming up. Sure, yeah. And, uh, you know, he was definitely, um, uh, you know, at the same level as these guys were in terms of just the basics of yeah. accept, you know? Mm-hmm. Even, and I, but I'll also give him credit because he that son of a bitch can deny better than anybody else right, too if he right. has to yeah you know, right. if he can do it in such a way now that's true you yeah know? he's not when I, I guess when I say accept maybe accept that the bit is gonna keep going oh I see what you mean oh, okay you know? okay 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 yeah but, but not the not the improvisational yes and as oh, much okay but, okay but to extend things okay I see what you're saying to to, to go blindly forward with a bit even when you don't necessarily know where it's going or what that, you have oh man because there there one or two genuinely felt like curveballs because even uh, Carl's like I'm gonna trip you up like I'm gonna yep. trip you up why is the nose called the nose yeah right. and he comes yeah. up with a, what are you gonna you do gonna blow, blow your, your eyes, eyes? <laughs> yeah 
stupid. But again, that's exactly, that is one of the fastest bits yeah. on it. And it feels so off the cuff yeah. right. that I have trouble believing that was a bit already. Right. Maybe he even had notes where he's like, all right, here's where I'm going to fuck with him. Yeah. Like, I don't know. But, oh, man. I'm trying to also picture what kind of, what kind of an audience we're dealing with here, too, because they're going nuts. I can't tell the size, but... I can't remember if they did it in a record. I think they did it on like a recording studio soundstage. Okay. Okay. Um, I think they did a series of nights and then they pulled together the best stuff. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Don't quote me on that, but sure. I believe that's what it was. You, you know, you should have, I have a thing on my podcast where it's called Fitz Dog Fiction. And when mm-hmm. I say something that's not true, uh-huh. people email me. Yeah. And then I read the corrections on the next episode. See, I, you know what? That actually is probably a better way to do it than wait for people to get pissy with me. Mm. <laughs> Which, by the way, does not happen a lot. I have a very cool audience, like yeah. gener- genuinely very cool. I've gotten one, one comment where this guy was so pissy about me not knowing something, and I emailed him back. I, yeah, I, had a, I kept a cool head. And I just said, listen, I don't know everything, but I like yeah. this idea of just inviting it. I think if you invite it, people aren't going to be dicks about it no right? they love it okay so you know what uh that 100 percent people go ahead email me jason at comedy on vinyl.com and is tell that me. your personal email or you have like a that is one podcast of many one. yeah that's my that's my that's my uh podcast one yeah. right yeah i mean there's also jason at stolen dress.com you feel free to email me whatever you want no pictures of your genitals thank you so much send those to fitzdogradio at gmail.com <laughs> i'm sorry your gentles uh what am i saying yeah. <laughs> it's all it's, it's so silly like these yeah. little bits so is this one of the albums did you play all the albums for for your son oh yeah yeah it's yeah so good and uh and then we watched blazing i don't want to get to blazing saddles but sure sure i showed him blazing saddles mm-hmm. probably younger than i should have right <laughs> but um because there there is you know the whole thing about uh the hooker fucking the black sheriff and the size of his penis. Uh-huh. There's a lot of stuff that would, there's a little, but I just figured, you know, who gives a shit? Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I, I haven't shown him the producers yet. Maybe I'll do that when he, he's away, but when he gets back, it might be, maybe it's, oh, it's one of the best one. things about having uh, a child is waiting and then sharing a movie with them that you, that's special to you. I bet. I so, bet. Something that, so, but then, it's so hard with Blazing Saddles because there's so much irony to wade through, but it just, he's hes good to go. Like, I guess if he's raised with a comedian dad, I, you know, maybe it's easier to navigate. I think so. And, and you know, even though some of the stuff, they are, they are references he's not going to get, sure. it doesn't matter because it's, it's, there's a music to it mm-hmm. that you just get into. Yeah. My parents wouldn't let me watch it. No. No, I don't think I saw it until I was 16. And then it changed my life. Really? Yeah. Like everything became about doing what he was doing with that movie, and yeah. then getting really pretentious about it too. I had that stage. Um, man, the produ- did you like the producer's musical? We're going to go down this path just for a minute. I didn't. Did I see it? I don't. Oh, okay. I don't think I saw it. Okay. No. The problem is, I would just say listen to the soundtrack rather than see the movie version. Really? I don't like the movie version. Nothing against anybody in it. Oh, the movie version. The movie ver- of sorry, the, play the movie version. version of the play. No, yes, I, the original movie. No, fantastic. Okay, that. yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not fun. The yeah. musical's great. I just but. don't. There's a few things in life that you just say, you know, leave it alone. Mm-hmm. They just nailed it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like uh, I remember hearing like Shania Twain redo. Wild Nights by Van Morrison. <laughs> and just like, you're, oh, you're going to do it better than Van Morrison? Are you? You're going to take one of his most magic, upbeat songs right, ever. Right. A song that people fucking floss and do their hair to while they get excited about going out into the night to discover bliss. The soundtrack of joy. Mm-hmm. You're going to take that, you fucking dumb whore. Can I curse on your show? You certainly can. Oh, my God. I got. And you know what? It wasn't Shania Twain. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna look it up because I don't want your listeners emailing you. Sure, sure. Well, they, again, they can correct you. Uh, that's fine. They can send those corrections to you. That's okay. Uh, if anybody hears this, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, John Cougar Mellencamp oh, covered it. Oh yeah, that's oh yeah, I remember that. Oh. And that's just he made it whiter than was necessary. Oh my god, he watered it down, mm-hmm. and oh. and then the worst thing is then you meet young people mm-hmm. who don't know about sure. the original version. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's they've talked about like a Blazing Saddles musical too and I don't know why that would I, I first of all you I, we talked about this last time you can't say the n-word on, right? a, on a broadway stage although could do you? they ever say it or does the bell go off oh, no, and cover every, it a, a ton they, they say do. it a ton yeah oh, you yeah, just you course. might not think about it though like right. because the movie is so silly and cartoonish that i 
Yeah. You know. Um, well, let's get back to the. the, the yeah, Apple let's get off Blazing second. Saddles. Sorry, uh, it'll it'll happen. Um, so, did you uh, have you heard? Did you hear when they did the two thousand year old man in the year two thousand, which was like yes. the last one they did? What did you yeah. think of that one? I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. You know, it was like it was. It felt like two masters just doing an overview. Mm-hmm. You know, it mm-hmm. didn't feel like they were necessarily breaking tons of new ground. Sure, sure. But they were going through it again, and and it was showing that Mel Brooks was as sharp as ever. Mm-hmm. And as you know, what sharp means is IQ plus guts. Yeah, yeah. You know, comedy is really about risk reward, sure. and w- can you go for a joke that's silly mm-hmm. and not be ashamed if it doesn't work? Right. Yeah. That's and part point. of that is having the trust with your partner. Mm-hmm. Which they which they have probably even in spades more more than they did before. I think mm-hmm. their relationship is probably stronger now than it ever was. Yeah. So uh, no, it felt you know it felt a little more pat. They had it down, sure, sure. but uh, but he was just as quick. I think he thrives, and again, this is just total conjecture, but I, I think he thrives on on variety in such because like every time you saw him do a one man show. What is great is if you'd seen him do it the next night, my guess is every story would have changed a little bit. Because yeah. every time I've heard him tell a story, I love them every time. They change every time. Yeah. I've seen him live a few times. Same thing. Like one night, it's totally different to the next night. Just because you're like, yeah, you know, the crowd wants this. Or this is what I want to hear myself say tonight. You saw Mel Brooks live? A couple times. Where? Like, uh, 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 let's see. I want to say 2007. Let's say 2007. Six or seven. Not doing a one-man show. Not doing a one-man show. No. But he was doing um, Q&As after Young Frankenstein, Blazing oh. Saddles, and the 12 Chairs. Those okay. are the three I saw. Was it at the the theater? The God, it wasn't at the silent movie. Uh, the, it was one. It was closer over to over here, somewhere okay. in Santa Monica. Yeah, uh, and I don't remember where the hell it was. Because that it was one great. man show I saw apparently is the mm-hmm. first and last time you ever. Did I a had one a man feeling because I had never heard of it. Yeah, and I now I want to record. And he of this. clearly rehearsed it for nine months. <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah. That's so crazy. I know. But yeah, like between those three nights that I saw him and was like five feet away from him and didn't get to say anything, person I was with had the guts to say, can I have a hug? And he gave him a hug. He did. Oh, I wish I'd have done that. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I would was, ask for a kiss on the nose. Yeah, right? A kiss on the nose is fantastic. From Mel Brooks? Yeah. Christ. Uh, but yeah, it, it was different every night. And I think he thrives on that. Like at the very least, that, just that variety. But then most comics do. Am I wrong? Is that... Or do you... Do you like having a set tight and good to go? Like, what's important to you? Well, there's a gestation period for me as a mm-hmm. comic where I come up with a new bit, and obviously it's very loose. I, mm-hmm. I don't really write it out. I find it on stage. And then if there's something there, then you try to stretch it out and push it and see how much more you can get. Like, I feel like every bit, every idea has a certain yardage you can get out of it. Mm-hmm. Some end up being just like one-liners and some end up being stories and some of them end up being um just jokes that have you know uh a lot of beats to them and the longer i do them the more they get to be word for word Mm -hmm. and that's when they usually end up getting pushed to the closing bit once they get strong enough and then i sort of take them out once they once i get tired of saying them and you sort of say when i do my next album i'll you know it'll be a collection of 12 five-minute chunks mm-hmm. that have each been sort of locked down. You Jesus? Oh, he's a nice, lovely, thin, a nice little bit. Yes. I mean, is he as he... Wore sandals. He wore sandals. Wore sandals. Very much as he's pictured today in the motion pictures that we see of him. Why well, did they made a travesty of it? You mean the Jesus Christ... The throwing over the tables and knocking over things. Well, didn't Jesus behave that no, way? No, he was quiet, a quiet lad. He didn't do that? No, he came in the store. He never bought anything. <laughs> You had a store. Yes, yes. Oh, I see. You were a merchant. Did, by the way, did you know any of the apostles? Did you know the I knew them all, sure. Did I you know them, the 12 apostles? They came to the store. I knew them well. Oh, sure. You knew them, huh? Absolutely. Uh, what, do you, could you tell us a little about them? Who are they, first of all? There was, uh, was Ben, Murray, Al, Richie, Saul, Abe. No, 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 no. Wait. That's not the apostles. Oh. Wait, that's the William Morris Agency. Wait. <laughs> So it's fresh when you feel like it. It's not necessarily I do a new hour every such and such for you. No. Yeah. No, I'm not one of those guys. You don't mind you don't mind doing a bit if it still works or still feels good to to do. Yeah, I feel like I want to give the audience the best (laughs) show I can. And if that means in a on a Friday night late show when they're really talky and a little bit dumb and drunk Mm -hmm. that 
you know, something new and elegant is just going to get shit on and it's going to make me feel bad and lose confidence in the bit. Right. So I'm going to I'm going to downshift and do some older stuff, get through the night and know that the f- Saturday night first show is going to be all fresh new fun stuff. Yeah. That's a really, you know, for a comic, that's a really good like defense mechanism rather than just shitting on everybody. It's right. just like, I'm going to do the stuff that I know will work. Or like you said, I don't want it to be shit on. I love that. That's great. Well, and also I feel like I owe them a good show. Sure. Like I don't blame them for being drunk mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like, you know, it's Friday night. And so my job is to make it a good experience for me and them. Uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't believe that there's a bad crowd necessarily. Sure. They may not be as effusive as you like, but they're a bunch of strangers. They're not, they didn't come together and and decide to be shitty. Yeah. So, you know, for the people that aren't shitty, you just have to give them a good show. Do you, can we, are we able to, there's no fucking segue for this, so I apologize. Right. Can we talk about, can we talk about the Cosby stuff a little bit? Do you mind? Sure. Okay. So, I have consciously avoided letting people talk about Cosby on the show. If they bring it up, I say, fine, but you know we have to talk about such and such. Yeah. We have to talk about the garbage but you've been going out of your way to sort of reclaim his stuff right. in a way. How, what made you decide to do it? Well, you know, the whole Cosby thing came up and watching him, watching this statute of limitations thing kick in when all these women who have suffered are being humiliated again. Mm-hmm. First, they're humiliated by being assaulted. Then they're humiliated by being called liars mm-hmm. by him. And yet he's still touring. So while he was still touring, I said, how do we hurt him? And I said, well, what would hurt me the most if somebody stole my material? Mm-hmm. And so I figured that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I just started going out on stage and doing Cosby bits so and, and you know, announcing that they were Cosby bits. Mm-hmm. And then it would always veer into him raping somebody in the joke. Of course. Of you course. Know? And so, and so uh, I did it. And, uh, but I would do the bits like word for word, and then I would throw in something rapey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the, the, the Guardian picked it up and wrote a story about it mm-hmm. and then um npr did a piece on it mm-hmm. and and then daniel tosh stole the bit and did it did you hear about this no i didn't hear about that but i'm not surprised oh has he got a reputation for that he's just got a reputation let's move on from yeah. my opinion of right. him but you can tell you've got facts to go well that's of. it he did the, he that did sucks. the exact bit yeah that blows yeah is it is it considered okay? Would it be you probably? I'm sure you're not considering this, but would it be satire if you did that as an album? You pick your favorite Cosby bits, you do greatest hits, you do it your own way. But is it? I don't know. Well, the problem is mm-hmm. there's a couple problems. Yeah. One is you don't want it to be seen as a celebration of, of you know course, his yeah. anthology. Yeah. So I think the thing to do would be if you got ten comedians to each do one bit, okay, yeah, and they all end in rape, <laughs> yeah, then yeah. that might be something. But the other thing that's difficult is that it's very it's very hard to duplicate his style. It's very slow, okay, yeah, and it's physical and it's facial expressions. Mm-hmm. And on the page, there's not that much to work with. Yeah, I mean, on some of his earlier bits, yeah, but the 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 longer he did it, the more it became, you know, yeah dramatizing something and um it's it's a tribute to him i mean look you can't take away the fact that the guy's one of the greatest comedians of all time right no no so um you know it's tricky and i think the other thing i was trying to get at by doing it is whether or not like whether it's roman polanski or woody allen or name your favorite fucking nba player that Mm -hmm. choked his girlfriend like whether or not you can appreciate the art of what somebody does Mm -hmm. if you object to them personally Mm -hmm. um so i i wasn't putting it out as an answer to that but just as hey here's an interesting thing to think about sure well and that's that's the way you have to do it i mean good art is better at asking questions than it is giving answers i think and then in in a case like this like it's also the only well i won't say only because i don't want to limit you know but it's one of the few ways we're making a rape joke is clearly about making fun of the rapist right you know and and i don't know to me like it's 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 a solid piece of performance art if nothing else but it also is a great i wish i'd have seen you do it i I mean but you're right though i hadn't thought about the idea that it is so him it is so expressive that it would be hard to imitate yeah we've talked about on the show the this idea that i had years ago where i've wanted to do 
uh, a night of covers, but I've asked comedians, I'm like, what do you think if 10 people got up and did their favorite Carlin bit? Uh, would it work? Does that work? And some people are like, great, that's a great idea. But I'm also hesitant to ask because I'm like, does that work as a thing? Well, Jim Brewer used to do that in New really? York. Okay. Yeah, and he would have, he would like, I went up and did a Steve Martin bit and it's great. People mm. fucking love it because what comes through is you see comedians doing their favorite comedian. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of see their love and passion for that comedian come out okay. in their commitment to doing that material. Yeah. And you don't, not everybody did it in the same tone. Mm-hmm. Some people did perfect impressions. Sure. I found that to be less interesting than somebody who just was kind of doing it their way a mm-hmm. little bit. But um, yeah, I did, a St- I did an old Steve Martin thing and, and uh, it felt really good. I enjoyed it. Do you know what bit you did? Yeah, it was called What I Believe. It was There was an album called The Steve Martin Brothers. Yes. Okay. Where half of it was banjo music and mm-hmm. the other half was him giving this very sincere speech Mm -hmm. and there's this there's this um kind of sweeping uh patriotic music playing in the background Mm -hmm. and he says what i believe i believe in rainbows and puppy dogs and uncle ernie who waves his penis i believe in nine out of the ten commandments and i believe that all people should be allowed into this country Provided they speak our native language, Apache. <laughs> I, I, I can't. Oh, it's so thing, good, it though. Go, it goes on for like six minutes. That's the one Steve Martin album I don't own. So that's why that's also very yeah. new to me. I like, you know, and it's funny is uh, for somebody like yourself, who again is like a stand up, whereas Steve Martin was his own fucking thing, to, yeah. ha- to, for you to do what is essentially a performance piece, that's it, interesting. And I think that's one of the reasons that works so well is because, like, you're doing this very, very tonally very different thing than you would normally do. Yeah. And I find that pretty... Yeah. That's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, I think that it might be hard to get the rights to do that, but it mm-hmm. seems like a good TV show. But I would talk right. to Brewer first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, now that I know that he did it, I'm going to have to... Going to business with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that idea. That's great. Oh, my God. Uh, let's see. So how, how, how are we doing on time? We're good. Keep you. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, let's see if I can find a way to get us back to Mel Brooks positively. Probably not. So let's go back real quick. So after you're first introduced to Mel Brooks and Mel Brooks becomes a part of your life, did it just make you seek out more Mel Brooks or did it inspire you to look up certain comics, get certain albums or anything or were you just finding what was funny, or was it popular at the time? Well, I, I probably that that first album. My first album was Steve Martin, Wild and Crazy Guy, mm-hmm. and then I think my dad got me this Mel Brooks thing pretty soon after, and then I started collecting comedy albums. It was this record store in uh, White Plains, New York, that mm-hmm. I used to. It was a head shop mm-hmm. with records, and they had a they always had the new comedy albums. So I would buy, you know, you got your Weird Al Yankovic shirt on. I would get. Mm-hmm. Weird Al's albums, and, uh, you know, I got, I have a lot of Bill Cosby albums. Sure. All of Carlin's albums, and so I've got boxes of comedy albums at my house, and I think the idea of sitting and listening to comedy is a really great way to ingest it, mm-hmm. you know, because nowadays everybody has to watch it on TV, and I think that, I think it takes away from um, getting lost in it as yeah. much, because you're... You know, maybe too many of your senses are being being occupied. I mean, unless you're a physical comedian, sure. You know, just listening to somebody is just the maybe it's the first way I was exposed to it because I didn't see stand up comedy as a kid, right? I only knew it as listening to it and mm-hmm. watching people do five minutes on the Tonight Show, and that was a very different. That felt different than what I was listening to on comedy albums, mm-hmm. which was much looser and people sounded like they were having more fun. Yeah, and um, so. I guess I got indoctrinated to to comedy by by listening first, and the the feeling I had with my father because we listen to other comedy albums. He loves Steve Martin, mm-hmm. and so I don't know that I sought out comedians like Mel Brooks. But then when I was about uh, ten, my father was a member of the Friars Club also mm-hmm. in New York, so he would bring me down and I would meet all the comedians, and they would. And then my dad would take me out to see their shows. Oh, so good. We would go up to the Catskills, and I remember going. I remember going to the Yonkers Raceway one time, which is this outdoor. It was a fucking raceway, a mm-hmm. horse track. Mm-hmm. And we go out, and Mel Brooks, um, um, 
uh, Freddie Roman, mm-hmm. is performing in the track, but he's just got like this corner of the bleachers with a microphone set. It was the weirdest set. And Freddie, of course, is wearing a tuxedo. Sure. It's one o'clock in the afternoon. He's sweating. And there's people scattered all over the place. It was like the oxygen atom. There was no, there was no matter near itself. And so he just went up there. And to this day, I took this lesson from him. He, he said, how you doing, folks? Thanks for coming out. Let's all get together. Come on, let's move. You guys, hey, lady in the blue blouse, you look beautiful. Not, I love the joking around, mm-hmm. but getting them to all sit shoulder to shoulder in the stands together. Yeah, yeah. And then he made them laugh, and he killed. So, and I realized, like, you, your, your job is not just to write and perform jokes. Your job is to put on a show, make it a show, fucking produce it yourself. Mm-hmm. You need to, you know, if you need to tell a... The wait staff to shut the fuck up. If you need to throw somebody out, if you need to, you know, tell tell them to turn up the microphone. Like, be present while you perform and be in control completely. And so, I I guess I got turned on to comedy that was similar to to Mel Brooks in the sense that like these guys were Catskill comedians, Mm -hmm. and I just learned so many lessons from guys like Malzi Lawrence and Dick Capri. Um, you know, from watching them in doing roasts at the Friars Club. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Those were, those were raunchy. Uh, Very big invention. What other inventors besides Murray? Onan. Onan? Onan. What did Onan invent? Onan. Onan discovered himself. Oh, yes. Very big invention. Yes. Yes. I see. Yes, I he think was... he was falling, and he grabbed onto himself, and that's how he fell in love. You know? I see. And he yes. stayed with himself. And he lived with himself and was in love. Was he ostracized for being that way? He was circumcised. I don't know. No, no. I mean, was he ostracized. shunned? Was he shunned for that? Oh, yes, he was shunned. Because, you know, in the Bible, it says, yes. There shall not uh, spill thy the, seed. The, the seed of thy fruit on the ground. That's you know? right. And also, thou, right. thou shalt be fruitful and multiply. And he was fruitless and, uh, and subtracting. Yes, you know? that's, you right. that's right. That's right. Do you have any of those albums? No. Oh, God. Those are they're so massively collectible, but yeah. I've never, I still have not heard one. No, I've never seen one. I've got one. friends who own a bunch of them and collect them, and, you know, we'll pay really? hundreds. Yeah, they'll pay hundreds. Why for didn't they make more? Things. Just because they're for club members. They're exclusive. Oh, no yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you always wonder, like, were they... Nobody's afraid, because they obviously said shit in front of a group of people, but, yeah. like... I, You know, I lie. I might have heard one that I feel like was... I want to say it was a roast of, like, Humphrey Bogart, of all people. And Phil Silvers was in it. And I love Phil Silvers. Phil Silvers, God. And he is tearing into him with the most homophobic... And, again, I know it's all in good fun. Yeah. But, like, I was like... Oh my God, Sergeant Bilko, what are you saying? Like, yeah. I had no idea what these roasts were about, and that, that that also has made me more interested to hear more of them. But yeah. like, yeah, you can. I got. I have friends who own a bunch of them because they're wealthier collectors than I am. Yeah, I'm not wealthy at all. So yeah, I'm I'm curious to hear them. So did you see a bunch of them live? Um, yeah, I would go when I was a kid. My father would take me back when it was closed door. Mm-hmm. I want to say there was no women allowed. Probably. The only one they let in for a long time was uh, oh my god now I'm just totally blanking but uh, there was no uh, there was no press mm-hmm, there was no mm-hmm. recordings of it that right. I knew of okay so you know and they might not There's, they've only might have recorded some of them then maybe it was just yeah I mean I, I guess they must have had some kind of master tape but certainly not like the media coming sure. in and recording it to play clips or anything yeah. like that and and people let it out it was crazy the cunt jokes and stuff that you know. <laughs> Became taboo as 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 things evolved, and then of course the Comedy Central roast took it down an even dirtier road, but not mm-hmm. not dirty in the same way. Right, right. It, it, back then it was dirty in the sense that like uh, you really were trying to uh, top each other, yep. yeah, and ingratiate yourself to the person that you were roasting, right? As opposed to just. I'm going to write the most hardcore jokes I can possibly right. pay 10 other people to write for me. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is like you're being essentially cast to make jokes about a person you may never have met. Yeah. And I feel like the Friars Club thing is at least we're all the same fucking idiot. We can right. all make the same jokes about each other. Yeah. That's where that you know camaraderie comes from, which yeah. is why the comedy – they're weird. Have you done any of the comedy Yeah, I did roast? the Chevy Chase roast. Chevy Chase, okay. Which, I mean, talk about not knowing the guy. <laughs> right. You know, he wouldn't even shake our hands before the roast. Like, <laughs> people would go up and go to shake his hand. Uh-huh. 
And he would literally just turn. He had sunglasses on, and he turned his back to us while we roasted him. Oh God. It was horrible. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. Wow. But, Did... you know, the reason he didn't have anybody he knows roasting him is nobody would come. Yeah. He has no friends. Yeah. Yeah. This I don't know I if hear. it's different later in life, but One at hopes. that point, which was probably around 2000 or so. Okay. Okay. He had didn't have enough friends to pull together a uh, dais. It's so weird. You know, he's still got this reputation. And then if you watch the National Lampoon documentary, uh, Drunk Stone Brilliant Yeah, Dad, I saw that. Yeah, it's so, like, his scenes are kind of heartbreaking and kind of human. And I'm like, this is the first time I've seen you be a person yeah. in so long. Especially with all this shit, like, that he's been rumored to have done to Dan Harmon and stuff. Oh, like, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, because that's why there's so much bullshit on Community, so much clashing. And he's... I know that executive producers changed a few times yeah, during that show. Yeah, and Dan Harmon has played some of... Di- Chevy Chase's shitty voicemails to him which to me though what's funny though is when I listen to them I almost and again I he's got the personal experience I don't but I almost get a Friars Club vibe like I'm going to shit on you as hard as I can because I respect you but I also think there's a huge generation gap between Chevy Chase and Dan Harmon you're saying I can go online and find a voicemail somewhere. Of Chevy Chase yeah, I think he's put them on Dan on Harman. a podcast. I, I feel like you're on a podcast. Oh, That's I somewhere. Write that down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chevy, okay. Chevy Chase giving him just the royal, just the biggest amount of shit. Wow. Um, so can I again? I'm sorry. I know we've we've gone off the rails just a little bit, but you know we're still staying staying within your influence. Yes. So apologies for my ignorance. But your dad was a member of the. Was he a comic or he was a radio personality okay, in New okay. York? He was one of the biggest radio guys in New York, and Shit. so he okay. was he was the token Irish guy at the Friars Club, okay. which is almost all Jewish. Mm-hmm. And so they got a kick out of him because he'd come in and he'd he'd make uh, the Jewish jokes with mm-hmm. them, and they'd make Irish jokes, and then. Um, on St. Patrick's Day, he would throw this big St. Patrick's Day party at the club mm-hmm. where he invited all of his friends that were mostly Irish. Sure. But then all the old Jews would come wandering in, and That's they'd have awesome. some Irish soda bread and listen to some music and watch some step dancers. And, That's awesome. And they loved it. And it became this mixing of two worlds. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up becoming on – he was on the board, and then he was the scribe, which really? is on the – you know, which is an elected office mm-hmm. at the club. Um and so he used to bring me bring me to the club a lot. I watched the OJ chase there. Really, I saw the um, the miracle hockey team, the Olympics. Really? In, was it nineteen seventy six? Okay, or eighty? I think it might have been eighty. And um, yeah, so it's a very special place in my family's. That's so cool. Life. And then when he died, they they had a golf tournament that was a fundraiser, and they named it the Bob Fitzsimmons uh, Golf Tournament. That's awesome. And they've had it going for years, and then. They wrapped it up a few years ago. So apologies for my appalling ignorance. Jesus. And I'm from New York, too, for fuck's sake. Where are you sake. from in New York? Upstate. Uh, I'm from, uh, well, you wouldn't know the, the village. Uh, you may have heard of Oneonta. Sure. Yeah, okay. That's that's uh, my village. <laughs> my village is right next door to Oneonta. Uh, you know, Cooperstown area. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah upstate. Big time right. upstate. So not like New York, New York. So what kind of... What kind of radio, so now I want to know more. I'm always fascinated with radio. So what kind of radio? It was AM radio back Mm -hmm. when AM was king. Mm -hmm. And it was, I tell you what, not that different than a podcast. He would would get on, he'd shoot the shit, he'd talk about my mom and us, and he'd talk about what's going on in the news, Mm -hmm. and he'd bring on guests. Mayor Koch used to call in every single morning. Awesome. And he would have on, um, you know, Sinatra would come in sometimes, and- it was very, uh, it was very New York. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he's a, he's a Bronx Irish guy, and he just embodied a lot of what the what New York was about. But he was a bleeding heart liberal, mm-hmm. and so he would get into it with his Republican counterparts. Yeah, and uh, and so it was it was like uh, people got to know him. Yeah, and that's so cool. And they tuned Fuck. in to hear his life. So. That was obviously a huge influence on me, and I didn't mm-hmm. know it would be because I did just stand-up comedy for the first, you know, 20 years of my career, and mm-hmm. it's only in the last six six or so that I started doing, ra- you know, doing radio and a podcast, and it's kind of like, wow, was I supposed to have started this a long time ago? <laughs> right. That's amazing. Yeah. Are there archives out there of your dad's stuff? Up on the shelf, there's uh-huh. a bunch. Ooh. Um, but... No, I don't think I don't know that you can find them online. Maybe yeah. I should, I should make a project out of putting his stuff up online. I don't know how many people would really care at this point, but for the people that would, yeah, 
I think it would be really nice. Well, as 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 a at least amateur archivist myself, it's I mostly just do it to do it. Yeah. I want it to be there. Right. With the option and the understanding that maybe nobody will give a fuck. By me. Yeah. But I, I don't know. For me, it's the project in and of itself is worth it. Yeah. I'm, I just, I would be fascinated. I have to so many hours to go through and some oh, of it's on reel to reel. Yeah. That's the hard part, especially yeah. if that shit starts to fall apart. But if you need somebody, I I know Firesign Theater's archivists, it, Ike archivist he has access to every possible thing really yes yeah so let me know if you need anything good um okay so let's let's this again no segues no if you're gonna talk segues are for pussies thank you thank you so much talk yeah (laughs) if you're gonna recommend this album i mean i think i know what you're gonna say but let's say somebody either doesn't know anything about mel brooks or only knows Latter-day Mel Brooks. Let's say they only know the producer's musical movie. Uh, what's a good reason to listen to this album? Um, I guess, again, I got to go back to the relationship between him and Carl Reiner. Um, I think you marvel at his quickness and his references, but it's like we all wish we had a friend that we could talk like this with. Yeah, And I think that's the number one thing, and it's like, to, to me... To sit down and listen to this is it's just a different experience that young people don't get. Mm-hmm. Just make them sit down in a room and just listen to this album. And it's almost like they're going to experience something in life that they never have before because mm-hmm. they're so used to seeing things visually. And you think of in, in the old days, people sitting around a radio and it really develops community. You look at each other. Yeah. Even yeah. more so that in a comedy club, your eyes are on the performer. Sure. You may glance at each other sideways once in a while, like, mm-hmm. that's you, honey. <laughs> yeah. But when you're when you're listening to it, like we would play backgam, and you you look at each other a lot while you're listening. Yeah. And you really connect on it, and it's very meaningful. It's very personal. And it's almost like you're sitting in a room with some friends that are making you laugh. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I, that kind of condenses exactly what the theme of my entire podcast is. So I'm glad to hear somebody else say oh, it. Oh, really? That way. Yeah. I mean, like, I've been thinking about it recently because I'm trying to like write a book about it. And like you just said much more succinctly what I've been trying to sort of establish. All right. I'll write the forward for your book. Thank you so much. Uh, it, but that's exactly it. And I love that. And this is a perfect album for that because, like you say, it's two friends just fucking around. Mm. But also they're super professional and brilliant comedians yeah. at the same time. I mean, yeah. it wouldn't work if they weren't funny people. Um that's perfect. Do you, and I, I apologize, unless you have something super important that's coming out to plug, uh, I don't know when this is coming out. Oh, just the podcast. Yeah. Please come check out Fitz Dog Radio. It comes out twice a week, and it's free. Mm-hmm. And I get, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to bump into people in comedy clubs that'll come on and do the show, you mm. know, Judd Apatow and Bill Burr and Zach Galifianakis, and a lot of fun people sit in, and... Uh, it's got the numbers have gone crazy lately. I don't I'm not sure what happened. I think I booked a bunch of good guests or whatever, yeah. but like, you know, sometimes I'll go a year where my numbers don't change that much, but mm-hmm. then this year they've really been going up. So, uh it's 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 the podcast to listen to now. And uh and my 1-hour special is on Netflix. It's called Life on Stage. Oh yeah, right. I got very watch proud that. of that. It was mm-hmm. taped in Tarrytown, New York, where I grew up in mm-hmm. this theater from built in 1860. And uh, that's out there. And uh, follow me at Greg Fitz Show. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. Hey, thanks for doing this podcast. I think it's an amazing thing. I think it's a real contribution to the podcast world. I appreciate it. And anything that archives comedy. Like I just had uh, Cliff Nesteroff on. Fuck. He's I mean, the best. Guys like you are really important. And uh, hey. I'm glad you're, you're you know, putting this all down if i ever want to make myself feel like just a giant piece of shit i just compare myself to cliff nesteroff though i will say i do it online all the time (laughs) actually in that letter where i responded to that dick hole i said well we can't all be cliff nesteroff at the end because yeah he's a fucking genius yeah Uh, so good well thank you so much for doing all right thank you my friend thank you guys for listening and as always have a good thing Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. 
please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. I'm Jason Klom. Gaziza, I'm Alan Rickard. Your last name is Rickard? And we are the hosts of Dispatches from Port Awesome, a news radio podcast. I, this is Jason again, I host the well-reputed... Reputed. This is Alan. Reputed. Comedy on Vinyl podcast, as well as some others. Alan, though. I've been on some podcasts, also I'm an actor, and have been for nigh on several years. The important part, though, is that while we're close friends, we found a bond when we discovered that we both love the greatest sitcom of the 90s. Possibly of all time. I won't refute that. The podcast will go through the entire series, from episode one to episode 97. We'll be talking with other fans of the show, people who worked on the show, and you. That's right. You can email your questions about the show, and I'm not kidding here, to freakzilla at scopenet.com. That's right. We'll either try to get the answers for you ourselves or direct from the people who put the show together. It's a dream come true. You can also call and leave a voicemail for us at 646-801-WNYX. If it's relevant or funny or even stupid, as long as it's news radio related, you have a good chance of it getting played on the show. Dispatches from Fort Awesome, a news radio podcast. All of this talk of aged lunch meat and ghosts has made me peckish. Equally dumb closing quote. God damn it, Alan. Sorry. Oh, that's in parentheses. I shouldn't have actually said that. Please subscribe to Dispatches from Fort Awesome on iTunes. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WNYX News Radio. (laughs) 